world is reacting very quickly to the invasion of Ukraine. First, let's look at Osu Young, who's talking to a professor from Virginia Tech. Uh, of course, the professor is taking into the topics of the discussion. Please look at the show notes. Uh, I was looking at this on a rerun later. Osu Young is a reporter with uh, a rerun TV based out of Tennessee. And uh, she, she had a really good interview uh, talking, talking to this uh, professor uh, who, of course, uh, is uh, Jared Tal, who uh, is a professor of the School of Public and International Affairs at Virginia Tech University. So we're going to listen to that first. And then right after that, we're going to go to the next quick reaction that's coming up. First, let's go to Osu Young and Professor Paul. Coming from that, let's go quickly and listen into the reaction to the invasion and the stand of the People's Republic of China through their Ministry of Foreign Affairs. They had a briefing earlier. We're going to listen to the interpreter who is quoting directly China's foreign ministry spokesman at the MOFA briefing or Ministry of Foreign Affairs briefing. And that's the latest update on the situation in Ukraine. I'm Mike of New York. We'll be back with more as events more. Well, could you begin by telling us a little bit about the two regions at the centre of the current crisis? Sure, sure. I think it's important that uh, people get a sense of uh, the regions of Donetsk and Luhansk. And they are uh, two eastern Ukrainian regions that were uh, at the centre of the revolt against uh, Kiev uh, in 2014. Um, there were reasons uh, why they were alienated from uh, the Maidan revolution. They have a strong regional identity. There were major economic concerns that people had there. Uh, so there were anti-Maidan uh, demonstrations in these areas. But the really key thing that happened is that a series of um, really outside forces uh, from Russia came in and sort of promoted this idea of a Russian spring took over the uh, municipalities because there was a power vacuum. Essentially, the Ukrainian president, that was his power base. And uh, the Ukrainian uh, president, Yanukovych, who had fled, that was his power base. And there was uh, his uh, party of regions uh, controlled that area. When he fled, it was a power vacuum. And these groups uh, moved into that area and they were able to successfully uh, ignite a war there. And um, as a consequence, once violence got going, uh, then things polarized really quite quickly. And you have this uh, very, very unfortunate division where essentially in these two oblasts, one third of them is controlled by these uh, Russian-backed separatists that are effectively proxies for uh, Russia's foreign policy. And two thirds are controlled by Kiev, by the, the Ukrainian government. And Professor, you've done public opinion research in these regions um, very recently. Um, what do yeah. people there actually think? Well, it's, uh, it's a very good question. And actually, uh, my colleagues and I are going to be presenting the results of a major survey that uh, we organized there in January, 4,000 respondents uh, on both sides of the line. Um, and um, there are the divisions, as you might expect, the areas that are controlled by the Russian-backed separatists 
uh, have aspirations to to join Russia. Although there, you know, there are nuances which we will present tomorrow um, when we uh, unveil this this research. Um, but I think the main thing that people need to grasp is that um, both sides are very um, alike in that the, in one sense, a geopolitical uh, um, tension and geopolitical divide has been imposed upon them. And so we ask this question, uh, it doesn't matter what country I live in, all as I want is a good job and then a good pension. We ask people, do they agree with that question or, or, or not? And majorities on both sides of the line uh, agree with that. So in one sense, what you have here is um, an economic, um, really an economic crisis, an area that's been uh, previously was an industrial powerhouse that has fallen on hard times, and then a war really cratered the economy. And as a consequence, there's a lot of people caught in the middle, and they did not ask for this war, they want peace, but they're caught up in this larger geopolitical game. And well, Putin's recognition of these breakaway states, um, they seem to some to be quite reminiscent of Hitler's takeover of Sudetenland. And well, does all of this mean uh, war or that Ukraine is actually being invaded? Well, yeah, I would stay away from Hitler analogies because I don't think they necessarily help in this particular case. Um, it effectively what you have at this particular moment is a transition in Russia's theory of how it is going to achieve its end. And that theory was through the Minsk process, whereby they would use these territories um, as, ter as levers within the polity of Ukraine uh, to make sure that Ukraine did not uh, have a geopolitical orientation towards the West, that it did not join NATO. So these were levers that were going to be used and the Minsk process was part of that. The transition now is effectively with the recognition of these territories as independent states by the Russian state, they've abandoned that strategy. And that is very scary because for two reasons. First of all, these particular territories claim territory larger than they actually control. Remember I said that they control one third of Donetsk and Luhansk? Um, well, they claim it all. And so one of the things to look out for is whether the, um, the Kremlin is going to back them taking all of those uh, oblasts. In other words, they're gonna break out from the current uh, line of control and they're going to at least seize these two, uh, uh, the, these two particular territories. That means war. And that is a very, very serious situation. Uh, well, in response to uh, Russia recognizing these two separatist states, Biden ordered uh, sanctions on the regions, on these region, re eastern regions of Ukraine after Putin's decree. And uh, Germany has finally decided to halt um, operations surrounding Nord Stream 2. Do you think any of these measures are going to carry enough bite, though? Um... No, I, I don't. Um, we saw the speech yesterday. It was uh, a speech of uh, a man that, uh, who has been in power for over two decades. Uh, it's full of you know, grievances, uh, resentments, there's anger. 
Uh, and, um, you know, I think it, it's a, it was a dark speech. And uh, it, it is one that I think augurs uh, poorly for peace uh, going forward. I think that uh, Vladimir Putin is thinking about his, uh, that he has a mission which is to um, sort of rearrange the uh, territory of uh, Ukraine, uh, because he sees that as a way to secure Russia, which is, of course, extremely debatable, but that's his particular vision. Um, and there's a historical legacy here, that uh, this is something that he feels that he, you know, now is the time to strike. Uh, he's got escalation dominance. Ukraine is not in NATO. Ukraine is is relatively isolated and he's going to push through. And so when you're in that particular mode of thinking, you're not really uh, open to persuasion with economic measures because that's seen as that's not a significant relative to your historic mission. And well, Western countries fear that uh Putin's recognition of these two states marked just the beginning of his uh, overall plan to invade Ukraine or to make territorial claims over the country. And well, in terms of that, uh, what kind, what do you think will be the Russian president's next steps or what kind of scenarios do you think the West and the rest of the global community should really prepare for? Well, I think that the uh, Biden administration has been doing a really excellent job in sort of pre pre-buttle, uh, anticipating the particular scenarios that are going to uh, be used. So the charge of genocide, for example, that Ukraine is initiating genocide against uh, the people of the Donbass is one that we've heard before. It's that whole rhetoric of responsibility to protect has actually been a staple of uh, interventions uh, from, uh, from Bosnia and Kosovo. Uh, and, uh, you know, some have argued that effectively what um, President Putin is going to do is he's going to replay the Kosovo script that the West used. Uh, he's going to replay that uh, in Ukraine. But of course, in Kosovo's case, there was a real uh, massive attack and displacement of uh, defenseless people uh, in the case of um, the Donbass. Uh, empirically, that's just not the case. It's, the evidence is just not there. However, when you have control over the media, you have the ability to sort of create a particular script, create a scenario, create um, the kind of footage of women and children uh, in order to um, inflame emotions uh, amongst the, uh, the audience. The key question, and this is a question I don't know the answer to, but the key question is, Will the Russian people buy into this? Will they see it as a legitimate war? The Crimea was different. Crimea, there was an emotional attachment to Crimea. The Donbass, I'm not so sure that this is going to work. Uh, we'll just have to see. I mean, media is extremely powerful. And when you're sort of broadcasting that, you can certainly move a significant segment of the population. But there's also a danger here for the uh, Putin administration. This may be a war that people just don't buy into. And well, for now, it seems that Washington, um, Europe, the European Union and uh, NATO seems to be, uh, 
they seem to be trying to maybe downplay the situation while uh, the United Kingdom, their, some of their officials have actually called this um, active invasion. Uh, why is it that uh, some, some of these states seem to be trying to downplay the situation at the moment? Well, okay, so you need to grasp that, um, so what has happened right now is that it, we are at the sort of first step of potentially dangerous escalatory ladder. Um, the Russian forces had not gone across the line of control uh, that uh, was agreed at Minsk. So now there are, it has changed in as much as uh, Russia has recognized these as independent states. It signed a friendship treaty with these states and therefore it said it's going to put its troops there. It's going to establish military bases there. The big question is, therefore, is it going to go, like I said, going to go beyond that line of control? And um, so there was some dispute as to whether this is an invasion or not, because a lot of Western analysts knew that there were already uh, uh, troops uh, of uh, Russia in this particular area. And so um, the, in one sense, this is a sort of a shell game in which uh, there's a certain formality uh, which is disguised as a reality that's always been there. Um, so this is the first step. We just have to see what happens. You could argue that this may not escalate, that there's a way in which uh, we're just at a new a new situation, and if Russia decides to kind of pause it, then there uh, we, it need not necessarily go to the next uh, ladder step. But all the signs are, unfortunately, as if it is going to go to the next step, and that's really what's very scary to a lot of people. Coming from that, let's go quickly and listen into the reaction to the invasion and the stand of the People's Republic of China through their Ministry of Foreign Affairs. They had a briefing earlier. We're going to listen to the interpreter who is quoting directly China's foreign ministry spokesman at the MOFA briefing or Ministry of Foreign Affairs briefing. Question. As noted by the UN Secretary Antonio Gavrovsky that the Russia's movement, latest movement is the so is the Chinese uh, government supporting the latest movement or action in Russia or against the Russia's latest movement? China will stick to the very truth of the progress and keep communications with all the stakeholders and the parties. We keep an inheriting standards of all the parties. All the country's safety and interests should be maintained and respected. The true safety and security is under the cooperations between all the parties. Here we are calling for all the parties to keep calm and solve the dispute through dialogue. There's a huge change in the eastern part of Ukraine. The embassy of uh, the Chinese embassy to Ukraine has noted the warning message to all the citizens and the Chinese compatriots which is stationed in Ukraine 
they are going to provide them temporary security protections and all the assistance that they need with the United uh, with the U.S. market. If the Western country, together with the United States, is going to adopt it. Uh, economic sanction toward Russia. What is the Chinese comments? What is China's comment on this? We are calling for all the parties to stay calm and keep calm to resolve dispute through dialogue and avoid the escalations of the dispute. And that's the latest update on the situation in Ukraine. I'm Mike of New York. We'll be back with more as events more.